0: Hope you brought your Bible. We're going to look at Psalm number 107. Psalm number 107. All right, this evening we're going to read the whole psalm. Uh, it's forty-three verses, um, but I would like uh, I would like everyone to help me a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read everything from uh, verse one to verse forty-three, except the verses that uh, verse, for instance, verse number six and verse number eight. I would like you guys to read verse number six and read verse number eight in unison. Uh, I will pause after verse 5 and after verse 7 to give you a chance to read it. And as you probably know, or if you don't, uh, I'm about to tell you that uh, verse 6 and verse 8, the words in that verse are basically repeated three more times in the psalm. So I want you guys to read those two portions and I'll read the rest, okay? Everybody clear clear as mud? All right, before we do that, we're going to pray. Let's pray together before we get into our study here tonight. Father, thank you so much for saving us. Thank you so much for your wonderful works to the children of men. Thank you for our church here. And uh, the church is not the building, though we thank you for it. We thank you for the facilities. But more than that, Lord, I thank you for the people whose, whose lives have been changed, that you have put here to serve you uh, and to, uh, to love one another and to serve one another. Uh, Thank you for our church, and uh, Lord, I thank you for the Lord Jesus and for his salvation that's been given to us freely, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate uh, the good things you do for us. Lord, help us uh, not to um, forget uh, to give you thanks for the good things that we have, not just physical either, but also spiritual. Lord, as we look at your word tonight, we ask, would you please help us? Help me to say what I should say. Help your people uh, to to hear with great attention to what you say in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 107, verse number 1. I'll read verse 1, and then I'll read verse 43, and then I'll read verse 1 again. Because it begins and ends in a similar way and it gives us the theme of Psalm 107. We're not going to go verse by verse in Psalm 107, but I want to point out some things as we we look at uh, this psalm. The Bible says in verse 1, Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. The last verse of the psalm says, Whoso is wise and will observe these things even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. All right, back to verse 1. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out out out, out of the lands from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. All right, you see that exclamation point, don't you? And you see that word, oh, at the beginning? That's, that means it's to be read with what? Gusto, with vigor. All right, verse, verse 9. Verse 9 concludes this first section For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their bands in sunder. By the time we get to the fourth one, you guys are really going to be excited. All right, verse number 16. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You're getting there. You're getting there. All right, verse 22. And, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters... These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water, and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase, he blesseth them also so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes, and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it, and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Now, the, the whole point of this psalm is to give us a clear view of the goodness, the compassion, and the loving kindness of God. Now, in this psalm, there are is split up into basically five sections. The first section is from verse two to verse nine. And uh, uh, it's a section that talks about the redeemed of the Lord. This is a reference to Israel when they came out of Egypt. They're often called the redeemed of the Lord. Israel is called the redeemed of the Lord because God redeemed them out of the land of Egypt. He purchased them to Himself and He led them out of the land of Egypt through a wilderness, through the Red Sea, and uh, they wandered in the wilderness. And of course you know that they hungered and they thirsted and they complained. And they did a lot of things that are that we often do as well, and so that's what the first uh, section, verses two verse, through verses nine, is referring to. But we find that God satisfied their soul in verse number nine, and then verse ten through verse sixteen, we have a a, a second kind of uh, illustration, which is you have these these rebels who have broken the law of God and broken the law of man and therefore have been put in chains, put in the dungeon, they've been put in darkness, they're bound in affliction, and iron, verse 10 says. And then, uh, and then their heart is brought low, but then they cry to God, and then God brings them out of the darkness and breaks their chains and out of the shadow of death. And so that's the second section. And then the third section is verses 17 to verse 22, which is, uh, not, not people that have broken the law and have been rebels, but people that have been fools. People that, because of their foolishness, they haven't listened to what God had said. They have despised the counselors and they've thrown themselves towards sin and it has afflicted their body. They're sick. They're ill because of their sin. That's what verse number 17 says. Their sin, their sin has brought them all the way to the point of death. Now, just as a side note, this, uh, th- this, this—we always need to keep in our mind that uh, sin has as its as its fruit always is death, always is death. Of course, that we know the we know of spiritual death, but there's also uh, sin also can cause a great deal of physical death. You know, there's many people that. Uh, When you meet them, you might might assume that they're a lot older than they are because sin has robbed the years of their life. And sin is painful. It will destroy your body. It will destroy your, your life. It will destroy your mind. It destroys everything it touches. And in this case, in this third section, we find these transgressors are afflicted with illness. Their sin has brought them to the point of death. But they cried unto God and God healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And then the last section I want to mention there is one one more fifth section but the last section I want to mention tonight is from verse 23 down through verse 32. And this is a section that deals with seamen. Seamen that are doing their business. They're just going about their merry way doing what they do to make a living earning, they're not doing anything wrong just making, making their way. They're just earning a living. They're captains of ships, uh, deckhands on ships and such. And uh, they come across a great storm that's sent by God. And they are brought into great affliction as a result of this storm. Their life stands in jeopardy. They reel to and fro, verse 27 says, And so they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and God brings a calm over the, the sea. And then not only that, but they get to their desired haven. In other words, they, they get to where they want to go. How many of you have ever been on an airplane under really, I say, severe turbulence? I, I dare say probably no one, but maybe just one or two, have been in an airplane in what, is, what, what, what would be classified as severe turbulence. Severe turbulence is where stuff's flying. Anybody been in? No, I don't mean the airplane. I mean stuff in the airplane that is, not, it is supposed to be relatively stationary, is flying around. I knew somebody would get that, you know, say, yeah, it's flying, you're flying, okay. Has anybody ever been in what is called severe turbulence? No, I, I've not either. It's uncommon. But if you're in severe turbulence, you understand what these people mean. Well, you think you're not making it, you're not going to make it to your desired haven. I remember when we were coming, coming back from Cambodia one time, flying around a typhoon in, in uh, Korean air. They told us we were going to fly around the typhoon, but that didn't help at all. And you knew it was bad, and it, this wasn't severe. This would have been moderate turbulence. Um, you knew it was bad because they, the, the flight attendants were pushing the cart up the aisle, and, you know, it was bouncing, and bouncing. We were already half sick, and our knuckles were already white. And then all of a sudden it got a little bit worse, and the, the, you saw the flight attendants, their facial expressions changed, and they looked at each other, and then all of a sudden they took everything back, and I was like, this can't be good can't be good. We made it, though, obviously. Amen. I heard that amen. Yeah. I'm glad I made it, too. Um, so there are four sections in this psalm. The goodness of God is seen in all four of these. Now, let, let's, let's just consider a few of the things that are in common between these four sections. The first thing that's in common is the is the, the presence of affliction. Affliction. And in the, uh, for instance, in the first, you can see the affliction is that these, these redeemed of, the, of God are led about in the wilderness, and as a result of that wilderness, they're afflicted. They don't know what they're they don't know where they're going. Uh, And when this says wilderness, we think of wilderness in the U.S., we think of, at least in this part of the U.S., we think of a place that's uh, like the woods, the big woods, right? But that's not what this is talking about. This, in the Bible, a wilderness is a solitary place. We call it a desert because it is deserted. That's why we call it that. That is, there's nobody there. There's no roads. There's nothing. That's what the children of Israel walked through when they crossed the Red Sea, which is called the Gulf of Aqaba. When they crossed that from one from the the uh, the Sinai the Sinai Peninsula into what is now Saudi Arabia, and they crossed that and they they went through that, and there was nothing there. There was no water, there was no food, there was nothing. And that was upwards of two million people. There was affliction. And then the second one you see, the affliction is rebellion. The affliction comes from rebellion. In other words, there's a guy, he's in jail. He's in prison and he's probably got a death sentence for what he's done. And then the third, you see, a man is sick. He's ill. Affliction. And then the fourth is, of course, the, the, the guys on the, on the ocean because of a storm that's come. So the, the first thing you, that's common between these is the idea of affliction. Now, there's a, I, I want to draw your attention to a verse here. Let's look at, let's look at um, Hosea. Look at the book of... Hold your place here. Look at Hosea chapter 5. That's in the Old Testament. If we're in Cambodia, I'd read the page number because all the Bibles have the same page numbers. But I don't think page number 1080 is going to help you very much. Hosea chapter 5 and verse number 15. Well, We'll start in verse 14. Verse 14 says this, For I will be, God speaking to Israel, He said, For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. That's pretty bad, right? Right? God saying, I'm going to be a lion, and I'm going to tear them like the prey, because of their sin, of course. Verse 15, I will go and return to my place. So God, what's God saying is He's going to afflict Israel, right? He's going to judge them. He's going to punish them. And then He's going to leave. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Listen to this. And seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. See that? So why did God tear them? Why did God, as a lion with the prey, why did did God tear them to pieces, punish them for their sin, and then walk away and let them stew for a little while? What was His intention? What was His intention? To get them to turn and seek Him. Now go back to our, our psalm here. In all four cases, in all four cases, you have God bringing affliction into the lives of, of people for the purpose of what we read in verse 6 and verse 13 and verse 19 and verse 28. Because God's design in that affliction was to be an instrument to bring them closer to God. To bring, them, to bring people who would not otherwise seek after God to a place where they would cry out to God. You see, you see. Here's the thing: it's just a fact of human nature, and it's a fact of a lot of people that, that are that are Christians now. And sometimes this this fact is uh, is cause for people that are atheistic or agnostic to 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 mock or to uh, or to insult. Uh, Christians because uh, many Christians became many people who, who received Christ did so out of affliction. maybe a death in the family, maybe a, a, a personal problem that they had, a, a, an illness that they had or, or you know I, I know people that, that, that maybe they were they already Christians but they, they had a renewed interest in seeking the Lord as a result of 9/11. For those of you that don't know what 9-11 is, that's when the terrorists attacked the World Trade Center and Pentagon. And, and so God, sometimes God brings His affliction into our lives because He wants people that would not otherwise seek His face to seek His face. And who would not otherwise cry out to Him to cry out to Him. So if you think about that in, in the right lens, you'll understand that this is the goodness of God. Even the affliction. ...is the goodness of God. That's an amazing thing. God in His goodness... ...brings affliction into people's lives... ...for the purpose of bringing them to Him. Bringing them, bringing a proud man... ...and a proud woman to a place where he he is desperate... ...and he sees no hope in himself... He has great pain. But God counts that man seeking God and crying out to God of greater value than that man's welfare and peace and harmony. And so God brings affliction into that man's life. Pain, suffering. Because God is looking, God is desirous of our good. Why does He do that? He does that because He's good. God is willing to afflict us for our good. Now, we'll look at another verse in just a minute in the Psalms, but, but notice where, do they, where, do these, this, where does this affliction come from? In each one of these cases, for instance, in the first set, in the first set of verses, the affliction comes from God leading His people out of Egypt. In other words, God, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. So God redeemed them and led them out into the wilderness, and now they're afflicted. You remember the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt? Who led them with a, 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 a cloudy pillar, a pillar of fire by night? Who led them into that wilderness where there was no water and no food? Who did it? Answer, who did it? God did it. And then you look at the second set rebellion. This man's in chains and iron and his his life is in jeopardy. He's he's in prison. Why? Because of his rebellion. And then number three, you have a man who's who's just played the fool. He hasn't listened to his counselors. He hasn't listened to God. He has been a transgressor and his sin has led him down a path that's made him ill. It's his fault. And then the fourth, it's just normal life. These, these, uh, these guys on ships, these seamen, they're just trying to earn a living. They're not doing anything bad in particular, but look at this. Drop down to verse number 25. does it say? For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind. Who's he? God. That's not all, which lifteth up the waves thereof. Verse 29, what does it say? He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. God, (laughs) these guys are just going on their, their merry way. They're trying to get from one port to another to deliver their supplies and pick up another load to bring back so they can go back home. And they're just crossing the ocean and maybe don't know, what's, you know what the weather's going to be like. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that God raises a stormy, stormy wind and brings them into that storm where they're going up and down and up and down in the, in the waves, on the waves of the, of the sea. Their life is in jeopardy. They're afflicted. They're terrified. Why? So that they would cry out to God. Look at Psalm number fifty. Hold your place here again, please. Psalm number fifty. Verse fourteen says this offer unto God thanksgiving. And pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify me. Call upon me when? In the day of trouble. Listen. Don't ever say this. Or don't ever give this idea. Well, the only time they, the only time they come to church is when something bad happens. But the only time they read their bible, the only time they pray, the only time they listen, God is pleased with that. Because the affliction, a lot of times people will have a death in the family and all of a sudden they start coming to church. Right? Or something'll happen, an affliction will happen in their life and all of a sudden they're 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 all of a sudden interested in the Lord when they weren't before. That's I know sometimes we we look at that with maybe a little bit of skepticism and, and cynicism, but but the truth is, the, God designs affliction to cause us to seek Him. That's why He does it. And He, we might think, well, he, you know, it'll wear off. Or, you know, they're only doing that because, you know, something bad happened. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But He doesn't despise their cry. He says, what does He say? Call upon me in the day of what? God says, call upon me in the day of trouble he he wants them to call upon him and like as i said for some uh, for some that's the only time they would call upon god you think of a you think of a people in the fourth set of verses you think of people that in the navy people in ships they're i mean they're renowned as being hardened people right they live away from people They live in these small little groups and they fist fight and they drink and they, you know, they're hardened men. They don't naturally like seek seek the Lord and humble themselves. That's just, they're well known for that, sailors are. But God even gets to them through affliction. And let me dispel another thing. In the first example and in the last example, God is the one that brought the affliction upon these people, right? But in the second and the third, the person himself brought it upon himself. Did God despise the cry of this man? Did God turn away the cry of this man because he was getting what he deserved? No. No. See, we have this mentality sometimes, we have this idea that, that well, when something bad happens to someone who's messing around and, and doing wrong and not listening to advice and not listening to warnings, and then something bad happens, we have this idea that somehow, somehow we shouldn't have as much compassion on them or, or maybe maybe it's, well, they had it coming, you know, that's, some, that's sometimes what we think. And they did have it coming and both of these people had it coming. One was a, re- a rebel against, his, against the laws of God and man and the other was a, a rebel against counsel and God's word and, and he was, one was put in jail and chains and the other was put uh, in the bed of, of illness. But here's the thing, God still heard their cry. Even though they deserved it even though they had brought themselves to that place. Listen, if God only heard the cries of people that didn't deserve it, then He would never listen to any of us. Right? If God only listened to the cries of people that were squeaky clean, (laughs) whose, whose sin had not brought them affliction then there would no, there'd be nobody on earth that God would ever listen to. Even though these men were afflicted by their own rebellion and their own sin, God treats them the same as every other case that we read in this chapter. His compassions and His tender mercy are not diminished because the man is afflicted because of his own acts. How much different is God from man? Man can look at another man whose sin has brought him low and can harden his heart, but God doesn't do that. A man can rebel and rebel and rebel, and and so God says, Okay, he's not listening. And he brings, he, he allows that man's rebellion or even causes that man's rebellion to bring him low, and he starts reaping the fruit of his actions. And then it brings him so low that he finally cries out to God, and God says, I love to hear that. I've been waiting on you to cry out. In fact, God brought the affliction for that purpose. So God's goodness is plain to see in this chapter to those who we might call undeserving. (laughs) But who who among us is deserving of God's goodness? Now look at verse number number 6 and verse number 13 and verse number 19 and verse number 28. But I'll just look at verse 6 so we won't read it four times. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. You see that? In their trouble tells us that the affliction was the cause of their cry. You see that? The affliction led them, caused them to cry out to God. That's a good thing. But the question I have and I'd like us to think about is this. Why is God inclined to hear and respond to their cry? Why is God inclined to hear and respond to our cry? When we call upon him in our trouble. Can anyone coerce God to act when they cry to him? Can anyone force God's hand and demand that God answer the prayer or deliver them in their affliction or deliver them out of the trouble or the illness or the danger or or, or whatever it might be? Can anybody force God or demand that God step in and, and, and uh, put forth His hand and help them? Nobody can demand it. Nobody can demand it. But we find four times in this verse, in this chapter, it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. We cry unto God, and God hears us. Because He is moved with compassion. Now hear me. Not because anyone forces Him to. Not because He is bound to. He answers the cry of those in trouble. That's you and that's me. Because He Himself, by His own nature, by the goodness and grace and tenderness of His own heart, is moved by our trouble. When our sin has caused us pain and suffering, He is moved by our trouble. When our sin has wrecked our lives... He is moved by our trouble. God is not stoic. God doesn't sit in heaven on His throne, blank-faced, clenching His jaw, just carelessly watching the uh, affliction of, of His creation. He's not doing that. And not only that, when we're sick of no fault of our own, or when we're when we're distressed or even when we lose our job or our income or, or we have family members that are ill or we're troubled by our sin or maybe things in nature. You say, I mean, I'm, I'm going to cover this in just a second, but people all the time, Christians and non-Christians, often have houses burned down, trees fall on their house, tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. And they're afflicted and they cry out to God. And why does God answer? God answers for one reason and one reason only. Because God's heart is moved when He sees us, whether we're a Christian or not. Because all these people are not people that that normally believe in the Lord. God's heart is moved by the affliction ...of His creation by by humanity. You think about Jesus. Hold your place here. Look at Mark chapter 1 real quick. Mark chapter 1. Verse 40. And there came a leper to him, Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. That is so key. Remember, if thou wilt, that's the word will, right? That deals with volition. And Jesus, was does it say? Moved with compassion. There's the reason. Put forth his hand and touched him. And saith unto him, what? What does it say? I will. Why was Jesus willing to do this? Be thou clean. He was willing to do it because his heart was moved by the suffering of this man who was a leper. The suffering that came from leprosy. How did he get leprosy? I have no idea if he was immoral I have no idea if maybe he was born with, can you even be born with leprosy? I have no idea. It might have been passed from one of his siblings or somebody in the marketplace. I have no idea. But Jesus saw this man who, has, who is afflicted with leprosy and that fact moved him. And the man says, you can do it, you can make me clean if you want to. And Jesus says, I want to. So no one can coerce Christ to hear the cries of those that are afflicted. He does it not because He must, but because He wants to. Not because He must, but because He wills. This is remarkable. That God is so good that He has moved the God of heaven, the Almighty. He has all power. And all things in heaven and in earth are held together by His power, right? Yet He is moved by the affliction of people. Whether it's physical affliction through illness, you think of Brother Melvin. It's hard to go into the room with Brother Melvin. But God is moved by His affliction. You think of people that are laying up in the hospital because maybe they were they, had a, they they ran off the road because they were drinking and driving and they're drunk and they're 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 close to death. God is moved. You say, well, he deserved that. Hello. Nobody denies that they might have deserved that or that's the natural fruit of that those deeds. But this man's in jail because he broke the law too. And yet God is is moved with compassion and waits on that cry of that man. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you're the same way. God loves to hear your cry in trouble. Not just when everything is good, but when it's bad too. He doesn't despise your prayer because you pray out of out of out of painness of heart no way he's moved when you cried out to god when you saw you finally saw and i finally saw that we were a rotten sinner broken cracked and 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 messed up from the ground up messed up from the inside from birth we were hopeless and helpless sinners and we cried out to god and we said, God, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I have nothing to offer. You know what happened? That's where that word grace comes in, right? For by what? Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. When you cry out to God in faith, God's grace answered His goodness answered. His heart was moved towards someone who was crying out to Him. And He saved you and forgave you on the merits of Christ's work. Now look at verse number 8. Verse number 8, verse number 15, verse number 21, and verse number 31 all say this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. There's feeling, there's emotion. That's why that word oh is there. In each of these verses, there is no command to praise the Lord. Do you see that? Is there a command? There's a wish, right? There's no command. Thou shalt praise the Lord. No, this says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. This is voluntary, right? This is is thanksgiving and praise that should spring up spontaneously out of the heart of those who know God's goodness and deliverance. This is spontaneous praise. This is overflowing praise and thanksgiving to God for what He has done. And this is the least we can do when we consider and ponder upon and count out and think through the wonderful works that God has done in our lives. Not just saving us, although that's the most wonderful one, obviously, because that's the one that has the greatest and and most lasting eternal benefit, right? But beyond that, how many times have you... When I was on that airplane, in uh, that Korean air flight from Cambodia, I was afraid. I was praying. I was crying out to God in my distress, unabashedly and and without shame. And not only that, I've done it when I've been sick. Hello, 24-hour stomach virus. How many of y'all have ever, ever had that? Oh yeah, that's fun. You know how it goes in our family, right? It just hops from one to the other, the other, the other, the other, the other. That's the way it happens. I've I've prayed in in those times. Have you? Listen. God is good to us. We would all do well at this time to recount and recall, intentionally bring to mind all the things that God, the wonderful works that God has done for us when we were in trouble, when we were afflicted, when we were in pain, when we were afraid, when we were in danger, when we were suffering. And that would result in our spontaneous thanksgiving and praise to God. What wonderful works has God done for you? Look at verse 22. We're almost done. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Pastor Stewart talked about this not too long ago. This is not a sacrifice of an animal or money or or some sort of offering. This is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is the fruit of our lips giving praise to God. That's what the New Testament says, right? Here's what that means. Has God done wonderful works for you? And you shouldn't have to think long and hard about this. You shouldn't have to rack your brain about the way God has helped you in trouble. What the Lord wants you to do is He wants you to speak of it. Give thanks publicly. Let other people know. Now, tomorrow, most of us are going to have a meal with our families. And many of us are going to see family members that we haven't seen in a while. And some of your family members are believers and know the Lord and some don't. Right? I challenge you when you have a chance tomorrow, it is, after all, Thanksgiving, I challenge you to speak to them and tell them about some wonderful work that God has done for you. And give thanks to God before them in their hearing. I challenge you to do it. Now let me caution you real quick. Don't just say, I'm thankful for X. I'm thankful for Y. Don't do that. One time our family down here in Greenville, we had a, a meeting and I suggested this is several years, this is 10, 15 years ago probably, I had a meeting in my family's house, or we had a Thanksgiving meal, and I, I said, Well, let's 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 go around the room and just see what people are thankful for. And each person went around the room and A lot of those people weren't saved, and it was very, very awkward. I'll just, it was really, really awkward. Everybody in the room said, I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful, yeah. Well, that's that's good, but that's just a sentiment. That's not what verse 22 says. What does verse 22 say? It says, declare His works. If you say, I'm thankful for such and such, you haven't given the object. You haven't directed your thanksgiving to anyone. You've just expressed a feeling. So when when I give you this challenge and you do it, hopefully you do it tomorrow, don't forget to name the person to whom you are thankful and to give thanks to the one who did the thing that you're thankful for. I mean, after all, the devil is not concerned with our being thankful. But he is concerned when we name the God who gave us the thing that caused us to be thankful. Let's not forget Him. And there's another thing I want to show you. Verse number 24. The last set talks about this. These men, these seamen, and it's, they're on the ocean, these sailors, and it says, These see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Verse 29, He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. This verse says that God controls the wind. You say, well, I don't know about that. That's, you know, the weather, you know, we have radar now and satellite imagery and infrared. And, you know, we know when these things are going to happen. You know, so it's not really God. In our day, with so much science, and that's not all bad. All science isn't bad science just means knowledge it's not all bad but in art here's the, here's the danger though science just science merely states a fact it doesn't tell you what motivates that thing to work. The problem with science and so much of it and, and we, we're bombarded with it all the time in the media and the news and all that kind of thing and we and there's, in the world especially, there's such a, a de-emphasis of divine control over nature. People don't want to talk about God. They don't want to talk about God's in control of nature, how that God's in control of the storm. People don't want to talk about that. Nahum, 1, Nahum 1, 1.3 says God has His way in the whirlwind, right? Listen, God still is in control over nature. He's still the one that controls earthquakes... He's still the one that controls the weather. These things are not just natural acts. The natural acts wouldn't do anything if God was not the one that created it and causes it to have its animation. I heard of a pastor one time who, in Florida, Florida is the tornado capital of the world. It is. More tornadoes in Florida than any other place. They're just not as big. Well, this pastor was in Florida, and there was a tornado, a series of tornadoes, I guess, that came through his town. And <clears throat> there was one, I guess, a, a pretty dangerous tornado that was in the middle of the night that was coming right for his house. And he could hear it. And he expected the tornado hit his house, and and, the next, and it didn't. And the next morning, they went out to look at the damage, and there was a, a straight line of damage. You know how tornadoes do. There's a straight line of damage right before you got to his house. And I'm not making this up. This is his testimony. It got right before he got to his house and it just went around his house like that. And it kept going in a straight line. <clears throat> I think that's a reason to give thanks to God. That's not a freak of nature. That's not Mother Nature. That's the God who has His way in the whirlwind. That's just one example. Here's the thing you need to understand. Don't let the world and its philosophy, its anti-God, cut God out of everything, out of all thoughts, de-God the whole everything in society. Do not let that rob you of your thanksgiving to Him. By convincing you that God is not involved and there's nobody to be thankful to. Listen, when I go outside, I'm not joking, I'm not making this up, I'm weird, I know. When I go outside at night and I see the stars, and I see like right now tonight, if, I don't know if the night's clear night, but if you, if you go outside, you can see in one little sweep on, outside of the church here, in one sweep this direction, you can see Jupiter, you can see Saturn, and you can see Mars every night. For, it's been like that for a couple of months. Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, you can see them. That's just amazing. I don't, think na- I don't thank nature for that. I thank God for that. This crisp weather when you go outside into the, uh, in the morning and it's, and it's 35 or 40 degrees and you can you see your breath. How I really thank God for that. Living in Cambodia, like there was never a time I saw my breath in Cambodia unless I walked into a freezer. Listen, these men thanked God for what He did in the storm because they knew that it wasn't just nature of its own accord doing what it does randomly. It was God controlling it. And so when it was over, they gave thanks to God because they recognized that God was the God of nature too. Nature doesn't exist apart from God. Hello, He doesn't. It doesn't at all. And so we should not let this world so infiltrate our mind that we forget these wonderful things that God has done for us in the natural world that He has created. So I just challenge you to sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare God's works with rejoicing to your family tomorrow, the wonderful works that he has done.